Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Jay, it's the end of the summer as we know it, and I feel fine. Yeah, well, that's good, Tom. I like that. That's a good, uh, I like how you're, we've been having a musical uh, theme kind of going with our, our last couple episodes. So yeah, to keep it going. Yeah, unfortunately, the summer is coming to a close as we record this, um, we're coming into Labor Day weekend. So that's okay. Yep. End of summer, back to school, all that fun stuff. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it is, uh, it is in fact, episode 50 of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. So congratulations to you and, and I guess to me too for, for getting there. Yeah, I think gold is the the 50th anniversary, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and speaking of of 50ths, uh, you you had a birthday yesterday, the big the big five zero. Uh, so how are you feeling today? All right. I just said I feel fine, but um, yeah. <laughs> I might need a I might need a nap halfway through this, and I want to make sure we're done in time for Jeopardy. Okay, yeah, good. Idea. I, I was thinking Wheel of Fortune, but you're you're Jeopardy. You're still you're still sharp enough for Jeopardy. That's good, Tom. <laughs> yeah, well, I just watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a uh, I have a birthday coming up uh, this week too, as you know, and uh, my friends have been sending me, uh, you know, little gifts or gifs, however you pronounce that uh, term, of like people sort of falling down escalators and <laughs> struggling to get around, <laughs> you know, showing my, uh, my frailty as I get older, as we all do. So I, yeah. I feel your pain. Yeah. Well, you'll feel even more when you hit 50. So, yeah. Yeah. I got a few more years for that. Um, cool. Well, I, uh, with that all being said, uh, let's, let's dig into our, our topic today. So um, you want to kind of tee it off and, and introduce it, Tom? Well, you inspired me because um, I've been doing a lot of reading of legal blog posts, just blog posts in general. I guess I wouldn't have to characterize only legal blog posts this way, but they seem to, I've noticed, they seem to take a a similar format and few kind of uh, reach beyond those bounds. And, And you sent me a note saying, what are some other creative approaches that attorneys could take in de- just even delivering written thought leadership content and sent me a few of your own ideas. And I thought that would be a good way to, uh, to spend some time on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. And uh, yeah, I agree. I know uh, we've talked about this before, but, uh, and, and I think any lawyer, if they really think about it and they kind of view whether it be their own, I mean, not say everyone writes this way, but I think it's a tendency among many lawyers, you'll recognize the similarities between the thought leadership content that you might be creating or others are creating and, and your legal writing as well. A, a, a typical legal blog post follows a format that looks very much like a, like a, a motion or a brief that you might write for uh, in, a, in a litigation matter where you're essentially, and it's a good style, it's effective, it's very, it's very effective for like getting a point across, uh, but it may be overdone a little bit. And if you're hoping to, you know, gain new, uh, gain new followers and new readers and um, attention, just generally the, the ability to stand out a little bit is maybe worth experimenting with some of these formats we're going to talk about. And of course, the, the format I'm talking about is, is you know, you have, say, a, a significant court decision and, and you write an analysis of it where it's got an introduction, it's got background facts, 
uh, a legal analysis and a conclusion. And that's, you know, again, it's a great format. It's how most people write, do their legal writing. And it's just today, I think we just want to introduce some ideas for breaking out of those barriers or bounds so that you can think differently about how to reach your audience. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the problem I've always said is not that lawyers aren't good writers. They are. The problem is they are very good and have found um, professional success doing what you just said, which is winning arguments in either courtrooms or, or matters. And so they're, you know, been conditioned over time to think of those terms and write in those terms. And again, nothing wrong with it. But uh, we're finding, um, and I have some actual data to prove this, we're finding that when you start to vary up the formatting a little bit, uh, you get higher engagement, more interest, maybe from people who aren't, you know, in this case, attorneys say, but maybe clients of attorneys who don't have, um, and maybe aren't prepared to listen to a, a, a written legal brief in terms of winning an argument, but you're trying to win fans. And that's a little bit different when you're talking about the top of the thought leadership content funnel. So I'm, I'm interested in diving in. Yeah, let's do that. So let's get, you know, let's try to provide some actionable advice here. Um, so uh, yeah, let's start by exploring what some alternative formats might look like. Uh, and I've got a whole uh, list of things, but you know, we may or may not get through all of these because I know we have a couple of other issues we want to talk about. But, you know, for example, one way to think about this would be, all right, if, if you're writing on a topic that, you know, whether it's some um, legislative change or significant court decision, you know that 99% of your colleagues and competitors are probably going to write in the style I described before, the intro, background facts, legal analysis, and conclusion format. Um, so instead of just following the herd, perhaps you know, think about just you know, in the opening of an article, just delivering the conclusion. Like, What is the key takeaway from that um, from that? decision or legislation and then provide a list of like the top 10 takeaways from that or the top five takeaways from that where it's it's real actionable advice for your audience so you're getting past all of the throat clearing about what happened and you're getting right to the heart of the matter which i think clients care about which is all right how do i make sense of and make use of this information and by doing that you can provide a valuable service that stands out from what everyone else is doing so that that's one immediate thought was just be much more actionable, action-oriented, um, think about it from your client's perspective and give them what they want, which is, again, what are the implications of this information and what do I need to do with it next? Right. Yeah, I love that. So you're reordering the content blocks in a sense because the, tr the traditional methodology broken down more simply, you know, when we took argumentative writing, even in high school or intro college courses, it was always tell them what you're going to say, say it, then tell them what you said, right? And so that's how I grew up learning persuasive writing. And it's just, it, it, again, nothing wrong with it. It's just if that's all you're ever doing, you may be conditioning audiences to kind of gloss over and say, okay, let me just get to the analysis. But I love the idea of reordering the, the content blocks and saying, here's the conclusion. Now let's talk about what it means. And so let me offer an additional take of a content reordering is I experimented something this week with my own content where I wouldn't advise doing this often, uh, but I decided to sort of tease the conclusion and withhold it from the reader. And in the very early on, it was an article that I had written about analytics and metrics. And, um, you know, I previewed the content as being, you know, what analytics matter and what analytics don't, how to measure them, what to do with the data. And then there was a, a almost a parenthetical subtitle 
including the one metric that I think matters most of all. And when I wrote the intro to the piece, I talked about uh, what analytics are for content marketing, how they can be sort of weaponized. And I, again, previewed, but there is one most important metric of all, and I didn't give it there. So I didn't leave the conclusion up top. I withheld it to the end. And so, again, you don't want to do this all the time because people will start getting annoyed by it. But the very last sentence provided perhaps the most important analytic. Now, I was a little bit trepidatious doing that. I had no idea how that was going to fly. It was thankfully in um, graciously syndicated by JD Supra, which ironically is a analytics warehouse in some ways. And so I figured, well, I already passed that bar because Adrian Lurson, the publisher who always tells you to not do what I'm just doing, has, has agreed to publish the piece. But now I'm looking at the analytics and I've just looked at it today. It is by far, it's only been up for a matter of days. It's by far my most clicked on, hopefully fully read article out of anything I've shared this year. So again, just, you know, you have to figure out a way to vary the method of delivery and, and capture the attention of people outside of the courtroom or outside of your caseload. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's a great example, Tom. And I think the, the main point being you did that thoughtfully and purposefully, right? You didn't, it's not just by rote, uh, you know, uh, tendency where you're, where you're just sort of, that's the method you always do where you bury the lead at the bottom, but you wrote it with the idea that you were kind of drawing people through the story. Uh, and, and that was kind of the, the whole point of the, of the piece, which is kind of, create that suspense so to speak at the end is to like all right what is the key takeaway and and you added enough interest throughout the article to to keep them um moving through it so if you're gonna if you're gonna use that format make sure to keep that in mind that you then need to like really deliver value throughout and build up to this uh conclusion at the end if that's the route you decide to go right the journey has to be worth it as well as the destination so you're right i did cognitively do that so thank you yeah yeah of course um yeah, so uh, some some other ideas. I mean, these these are just kind of a, a little bit random, and and there's not you know a, a a real sequence to them, but some ideas that might inspire people to think differently about content formats. Um, things like you know do instead of just always writing you know about something that happened, like perhaps consider interviewing someone else for a piece you're writing. You know, we've talked a lot about collaboration as being an important element of thought leadership. So, you know, find, you know, think of someone who in your space, who is another thought leader in that space, who might be able to add a different perspective to it. Um, I think those are oftentimes very um, interesting uh, ways to create content where you're bringing in someone else's perspective. And in, in, addition, in addition to that, you're also, you know, sort of continuing to develop that relationship with, with that person. So I really like the interview format. I don't see it much in, in legal thought leadership writing, um, but it might be something for people to consider. Yeah, I love that idea. And I actually had Q&A in my notes as well, because it works so well, as we've seen in podcast format. Not only are our, our episodes that we record with guests and subject matter experts probably of greater value than just us two knuckleheads talking, but um, it also opens doors to people that we want to meet. And so when we're setting up uh, podcasts for our clients, we're asking them to think strategically about your guest strategy, because this could be opening the doors from a business development standpoint as well. But specifically, then the content becomes much more interesting. Just think about how you're laying it out now. Now you have a Q&A format, which is already disruptive because it's not that tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said format. So I like that. In one idea, this is actually, I'm going to steal one of your ideas. 
is um, to discover different formatting options is I would recommend attorneys uh, spend, do a lot of reading outside of their domain, whether it's the legal domain or the domain of the clientele that they serve. And I, specifically, I mean, go and find great marketing bloggers because those are the creative minds that are already doing this well. They're not thinking like attorneys. They're thinking like storytellers and interviewers and journalists in some way. So um, there's all sorts of marketing blogs. Um, and maybe we'll link to a few of those in the show notes. But I think that's a good place to draw inspiration and say, ooh, that format worked well uh, for this marketing blogger. How do I then incorporate that into a, a legal blog? Right. And because many of those, I, I, you know, I think some come to mind and we'll, like you said, we'll link to these uh, a few maybe in our show notes, but um, they, they have, you know, there's people in that field that have massive audiences and the, the issue of marketing is obviously no more interesting or valuable than the issue of, of uh, you know, various legal issues, but they've been able to amass, you know, huge audiences and it's, in large part because they're just really investing a lot in in doing things differently and creatively and thinking you know about how they're delivering information so there's definitely lessons to be learned there i agree with that tom um another area where you know related to that i think um is is thinking about you know the idea of both aggregating and curating content in the form of a newsletter. Um, we oftentimes think about just writing articles, but um, the ability to deliver content in, a, in the form of a newsletter, um, I think can be really effective in positioning oneself as a thought leader. So, so what I mean by that would be, you know, there's a few different ways you could go at it. One would be to create like an email newsletter where you're sending something out, you know, on a, say a Friday where you're aggregating the key industry trends from the industry you focus on, adding a bit of commentary of your own and, and sending it out to your list to keep them on track, uh, keep them on top of the key developments that have happened in the, in the previous um, week, as well as kind of showcasing your your thought leadership in a short summary and or an analysis of those issues. Um, I see, you know, Scott Becker, who we've talked about on the podcast before, um, he, he does that on a daily basis, actually. Um, I'm on his list and he sends out kind of 10, uh, 10 issues of importance in terms of just, you know, general business and economic developments, um, sometimes legal. Uh, but he, he, I know that that's been a very successful way for him to stay in front of people. And he also, which, um, you know, people should think about doing is he incorporates his own content into that as well. So he might have seven items that deal with key industry trends, and then he'll feature, you know, his most recent podcast episodes and maybe, you know, an upcoming conference that they're putting on. Um, so I think that's really effective. And then I've also seen lawyers doing that increasingly on LinkedIn, where, you know, there's a, there's a guy who, Folks in the uh, the healthcare space who who will do like a daily um, update every morning where he'll touch upon like five five developments that people should know about and he posts it early like before seven a.m. It's not like you have to do that, but it's effective because it's like a a way to hit people right at the start of the day and and people start looking to you as you know again where they're someone who's going out and finding the information they need to know and so you're s serving a valuable. Uh, uh, you're, you're providing valuable service for people because uh, you're, they, they don't have to go down and hunt that information themselves. Yep. 
I agree. And another example of this, and actually since you're turning 45, you may want to sign up for this, Jay. It's actually <laughs> geared, it's geared towards old fogies like us, um, specifically people in their late 40s and kind of turning the, the quarter at 50. So the content's very narrowly focused. It's really inspirational. But what um, his name is Brian Clark, and he's kind of an influencer in the space, or in, I don't know what space. He's in the creative field, but he's sort of become a curator of all things relative to mental and physical health at the age of 50. And I read it religiously, not only because – his content that he creates is spectacular. He's just got a wonderful way of telling stories and inspiring people, but he curates all of the relevant, whether it's medical journals or if it's stuff on meditation and mindfulness. And I feel like it's a one-stop shop for old guy turning 50 and, you know, needing to constantly stay of mental and physical health. So it's like my one go-to place. It's an email that I never delete. I always read it. So why is that? Because I know it's him. I can't even figure out what he's trying to sell, if anything, which is perfect, right? So the reason I he's earned my readership is because he's earned my trust and he's earned my trust because he has become that one-stop shop. So maybe lawyers can think in terms of how do I become through a newsletter, say the one-stop shop. So I'm not always just pitching my wares and selling my own content, but I become known as the leading aggregator of all this great content that exists. And I package it perfectly for my interested constituents. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Did I mention the name? It's called further. Uh, You know, I feel like you've mentioned that to me before, but that's helpful for the for the listeners. But yeah, I'm familiar with Brian Clark, but I don't I don't receive his newsletter. So I'm going to do that because yeah, yeah, you should. uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's not because you're getting old, but just because the content is outstanding. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I think it's a dual purpose, but I like that idea of the one stop shop. I think, you know, that's a that's useful shorthand as a way to think about what you want to become for your for your prospective clients. Right. you got another one on this on this topic of format, Tom? Uh, well, sort of. I mean, I don't know if this is outside the boundaries of format or just the mixing of the medium, which we talk a lot about in going to uh, back to the article that I wrote on analytics. Somewhat of a complex topic if you don't do what we do every day. So whenever you're writing in complex um, subject matter areas, and lawyers do this for a living, Right. It, I think it's important to figure out a way to make the content more accessible in what I did. And I asked a graphic designer to take a series of concepts that I had written about, you know, probably devoted 150 to 200 words on and said, can you distill this down into a graphic and very talented graphic designer who actually also has the last name Harrington. You might know her. Uh, Heather. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to. I, I think I know that person. Yeah, you might have an appointment <laughs> later with her. Yep, but um, yep. she did a great job of distilling this into visuals that I think anyone then can look at this infographic and say, okay, I get now the value of what this article is all about. And of course, when I post it to LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, that image then naturally populates as the featured image. And if nothing else, I'm able to get across a concept, even if no one clicks on the article, they're going to see what I was trying to say. And they're either going to say, yeah, I want to read more about it. Or they're going to say, I at least understood, Stan, what he was writing about and almost have incremental or greater effect on reaching and influencing an audience. So the, the recommendation is to find somebody who can inject some multimedia, whether it's a gra- infographic or a video or an animation of some sort into the written text. And when you're sitting down to write your topic, you don't always think in those terms. So make sure you're perhaps thinking ahead to, all right, how do I get the graphics team involved with this? Because I think it's going to, you know, vary up the the delivery formatting a bit. So good okay. recommendation. Yep. And maybe that, yeah. maybe it was Heather's, maybe it was Heather's infographic that's contributed to all the clicks that could yeah, be, well, could be nothing yeah. I said. 
<laughs> I will, uh, I'll, I'll pass that along just as a, you know, a compliment to her though. Right. Okay, um, good. Uh, all right. So I've got a few more. I'll just move really quickly, do a sort of a speed round through a few other ideas in case anything lands with anyone or maybe inspires them to do uh, change up a format. But, um, you know, sometimes you don't always have something specific to say. Um, and so even going outside of your normal subject matter, I think, um, you know, one example that came to mind was just why not do a book review, right? I mean, I think you if you learn something from some resource that you read, so it's whether it's a, a book review or a, you know a podcast review, whatever it might be, uh, bring things that you've learned to your audience because odds are they'll learn something from that as well. Just as you were talking about Brian Clark's newsletter, Tom, and introducing that to people, um, that can be a, a helpful resource for people as well. And it doesn't, it, you don't need to come up with like a topic that might seem like, uh, you know, super, super relevant to your, your legal practice, but you can provide, again, a, a helpful resource um, outside of that based on something you've learned. Um, another, uh, I also was thinking about this idea, Tom, which is maybe, it, you know, especially if you're consistently creating content, think about something like a, uh, maybe a quarterly webinar that you host where, you know, you think about the key issues that you've addressed in your writing over the last several months and put together a 30 minute webinar where you're just kind of going through those key points and providing some context and analysis in a, in a different format, like a, a webinar format for your audience so that you, you know, you can, you can go from just someone who's writing content to someone who's, uh, you know, delivering it more conversationally in a, in a webinar format. So again, thinking about repurposing and aggregating the content you create into, into different formats. Um, and then one that I, I like as well, but I don't see that often is um, creating articles based on case studies. So to the extent that there's some legal issue that you've dealt with and you know is something that will be of interest to others, incorporating some aspect of a case study into it, even if you know confidentiality prevents you from naming your client or naming a specific scenario, um, incorporating that case study element, one, it adds interest because it can be more storytelling in nature. Um, two, it can you know showcase what you're doing right, what you know, and the successes that you've achieved in the context of thought leadership. Um, at, you know, you're not, not just um, patting yourself on the back, but you're, you're you're delivering lessons and information in the context of work that you've done. Um, and then I also think that it's worth exploring and experimenting in a few different areas, even within the context of the traditional blog posts we talked about before, which is experimenting with your headline styles, because um, that's obviously very important to actually get someone to click on your content in the first place. Um, one thing that I've seen more uh, law firms and lawyers doing, which I think is effective and maybe is worth incorporating, would be um, before in, in a section before the content of an article even starts, summarizing in two or three bullet points, like the key takeaways from that article. I, I like that approach. Um, playing around with calls to action, you know, at the end of an article. So, you know, you don't want to put on the hard sell necessarily, but you also don't want to be afraid to tell people what to do next after reading your content. So think about calls to action. And then one last thing, Tom, um, would be adding more hyperlinks uh, within articles to other content that you or colleagues in your firm have written. So, you know, one of the ideas 
you, what you really want to do is create more time on site, you know, for anyone who might have checked out an article that you've written and give them opportunities to, to go deeper, um, add those hyperlinks to other content that's touching upon the issues that are addressed, perhaps in a shorter format in the article you're working on. And that'll allow people the opportunity to kind of navigate uh, within your site, learn more about you, explore more of your writing. And the more time they spend, the more they'll get to know you and trust you, and the more likely they are to reach out to you um, as a result of that. So, so those are a few additional ideas on format, Tom. I don't know if you had any follow-up on any of that. Well, just on that last one, I agree in that it's, uh, it's another way to become that content aggregator in the one-stop shop. It shows that you are out there, you're surveying the landscape, you've maybe bookmarked an article, and now you're including it in your own piece. It just reinforces that thought leader um, reputation that you should want. It also has a somewhat of an effect. Outbound links do help your SEO, your search engine optimization. So especially if you're linking to authoritative websites like major media outlets, for example. So that's always good to do. And But the, the biggest reason is what you already suggested, which is to just to provide additional deeper content. Uh, the last thing I was going to recommend in terms of varying up or, or getting creative inspiration is three words, have a podcast. Um, we heard from a client this morning, and I find this all the time, that when we're having conversations with you and I and a guest, it sparks a creative, some, you know, gets the creative juices going and about a topic I wasn't even that, you know, honed in on or honed in on, I should say. And so these real life, real time conversations, not only get the um, creative inspiration going for new topics, but it, it, it varies. We might do for an example, and this is what the client was sharing with us, a podcast episode and a blog article on the same exact topic in the same exact week. And they could be two totally different discussions and conversations just because of the way the mediums are, how they're differently presented. Um, but we, you and I can have a conversation which you can't do in a, in a two-dimensional article where the article could get very academic and encyclopedic. But if I read you an entire article, you would never listen to my podcast. So there's, there's a, a whole... Um, symbiotic relationship between your podcast content and your written content. And if you're ever getting writer's block, invite a guest on your podcast and just let them talk and you'll walk away with five to 10 new ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that I, podcasting and, and writing are, are, is a nice one, two punch. Uh, I think for also, because I think it, having both will improve both of those, both of those platforms. You know, I, I often, times don't know what I think about an issue until I've had an opportunity to write about it. So, you know, writing helps in that respect. Um, and then from a podcasting standpoint, when we talk about these issues, I think it, I think that it allows us to have a more conversational tone to our writing as well. So that, yes. that symbiotic relationship does help you. You don't get caught in one, uh, you know, one means of communication. I think both play on each other and, and help to improve your communication skills. Um, by doing both. Well, just not to hammer home the, the point too often, but it's exactly what happened with my article on analytics is you and I were having a conversation about what analytics matter, what can be measured, how should you measure them, what do you do with the data? And it wasn't until we were two thirds or three fourths of the way through the podcast where I threw the curveball and said, but hold on, we haven't even talked about the most important metric of all. And that's when the whole conversation shifted. And so I adopted that methodology in the writing of the article because I thought the conversation that you and I were having was interesting that it led us to a place and then led us to a second place. And that's where I wanted to take the article. Had we not had that conversation, I would have never written it that way. So 
you know, score another one in the podcasting box. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, let's, let's transition. Uh, we'll kind of move through this quickly, but, uh, I wanted to talk just briefly about um, beyond format, uh, also style. And, and what I mean by that is just, you know, how we're, especially in the context of writing. Um, and so in this case, I, I think about it in these terms. I mean, you've, everyone's heard the term, uh, you know, people, the clients hire the lawyer, not the law firm. And I, and I do agree with that sentiment. Uh, but we don't do a lot to put ourselves in a position to be seen as an individual uh, when we're writing in a very formal style. And I think that's the style that most lawyers uh, kind of default to because that's the style of legal writing. And so the thought leadership writing um, is very formal in that sense as well. And and the formality comes through in the use of the, the third person style, right? It's, lawyers become disconnected from the content, I think, uh, when they become disconnected from the subject of the content, in particular, when they're using the third person. And again, you know, you want to be professional, obviously, and, and, you know, maybe a bit formal in your writing, because you're talking about complicated issues, and, and you provide a high value service. But if, if what we're trying to do is connect with people on a personal level, which I think is the whole point of creating and sharing content, I think it's worth experimenting with more use of the first, you know, the use of I and uh, the second person, the use of you. So you're, you're essentially through your writing, speaking more directly to the person on the other end of your words and, and developing a more um, engaging relationship as a result of that. So, you know, that, that coupled with maybe just trying to simplify your writing style in the sense that you're, using simpler words, shorter sentences, uh, more paragraphs, just making your writing more accessible and more personal, I think can go a long way towards creating more engagement for your readers. I totally agree. And I'm guilty of it myself. So I'm not even going to say that I'm casting stones because I'll admit I, I do it too often, but I, I've heard a lot of attorneys, legal marketers that we've had, maybe from the legal marketing department as guests on this program, who implore their attorneys to just humanize your content more. You don't need to sound like you're in front of a, a, a judge or you're in front of a jury or whatever it might be. You're a human at the end of the day and people want to hire humans. They want to hire people they like and trust. And if you're constantly writing in such an encyclopedic nature, it's like, okay, I get it. You're an attorney. But what people want to do is they want to like you. And if you speak in more colloquial language, I think people will like you, even if it's not grammatically perfect, you know, to again, say you instead of one, like you are talking to you in this case, you're talking to the reader. So again, that's good advice for attorneys. I'm trying to adopt it myself. So I, I love the advice. Yeah. And then, all right, lastly, I just thought, um, maybe, and this is something you raised earlier, Tom, when you were talking about, you know, sort of reading outside of your, your area of, of, you know, just reading outside of the, the legal industry and consuming more content. And I think that that both gives you inspiration for experimenting with new formats. I also think it gives you the opportunity to really improve your writing and your content creation as well. Um, I, I try, you know, I definitely try to consume most of the content that I consume outside of, you know, work, I try to keep it outside of, of work. Uh, I make, I try to, you know, read good fiction. Um, I try to read in areas of like, you know, economics and science and listen to podcasts in those areas. And, and the reason for that is that 
I think it helps to keep you out of a creative rut. Um, by consuming content outside of your area of expertise, I think it can allow you to be exposed to new ideas and then incorporate those ideas and contextualize them for, for your audience. Um, if all you're ever doing is sort of staying closely within your narrow domain, you run the risk of sort of shrinking the lens through which you see the world. And that, you, know, run, you run the big risk of getting stale and kind of getting myopic with how you're approaching um, you know, the various issues that you're, you're dealing with. Whereas if you're, if you're consuming content very broadly, um, you just expose yourself to so many new concepts that you can't help but develop new and interesting ways to contextualize that for your audience within your own domain. So, so that would be one more piece of advice. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And as an English major who was frequently told, um, yeah, a lot of professors and teachers would say, if you want to be a great writer, be a voracious reader because mm -hmm. you just learn so much. I mean, my wife and I like to joke about the people who mispronounce words that they've never heard because they've only read them or they don't know how to pronounce them because they've, you know what I mean? So yep, you just, yep. you just learn things for one for, for reading, but you do, you get exposed to different styles and I get exposed to styles that I would like never consider. And I haven't adopted yet, but when you had me write, uh, read the book um, by the founders of Basecamp, you know, they really colloquialize their language. There's some F-bombs and, you know, but that raw candor really had an effect on me. I was like, yeah, it got me amped up. It's like, these guys are right because it felt genuine. Now, am I recommending that attorneys throw F-bombs in other content? Probably not. But just being exposed to different styles gives you mental permission to kind of expand your creative boundaries. So I love the idea. And uh, I just got an email from further as we were talking, by the way. So nice. you know, his ears must have been burning. So yeah, yep, read, yep. read things like further or read things that are just sort of general uh, related to life, not necessarily content creation or, or legal things, but um, marketing blogs, yeah. like I said, is a good place to start, but just, just read. Yeah. Yeah, behavioral economics, philosophy, like really, you know, dive in, read the classic books, listen to right. great music even. I mean, I yes. imagine, Tom, that just, you know, things like improvisational jazz, like these are things that will get your creative juices flowing and just have, allow you to, again, have that different lens uh, through which to see the world. And that's going to, can't help but improve your content. There's all kinds of science behind that, Jay, as a matter of fact, the science behind jazz, the science behind what listening to classical music does to the brain. So just doing those, again, classical music is nothing, when I grow it up, I thought I would never listen to that. Every spring I get into a ritual where that's where I'm listening to it. And if you want to understand the science, do some Googling around that because there's actually some uh, sort of rejuvenational um, effects that classical music has in the brain. So yeah, yep. interesting. Love it. And yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, one, one last music reference, because um, I was listening to a music, you know, speaking of, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast that I recommend uh, if you want to kind of dive in and understand and get exposed to new ideas. Um, Tyler Cowen's um, Conversations with Tyler. He's an economics professor at George Mason and a brilliant guy and has a really eclectic uh, group of guests on and he had a music historian on uh, in, a, in a relatively recent episode and they were talking about the Beatles and how kind of they changed you know how drastically they changed music and how in fact almost every out well really every album they they put out they totally reinvented themselves and their musical styles and they said saying how that was just the secret to their their you know epic success was they never stopped experimenting with new styles and never sort of just got into a rut where they were doing the same things over and over despite having you know they could have achieved massive success by just kind of 
relying upon the past successes they've had, um, but instead they just continually reinvented themselves. And I think that's a good lesson for, for anyone who's creating any form of art or content. Yep. And I would, uh, I totally agree. That's in, you know, we see artists to this day doing that, constantly reinventing themselves. But last piece before we let anyone go, um, because it's related to music and um, it's somewhat related to the topic of reinventing yourself, but it's also uh, related to the science of flaring up both sides of your brain, your intellectual and your creative. And I guess I could shoehorn it into the topic today because we've had so much discussion of music. Um, but also relative to kind of staying busy and active during the pandemic. So just I'm advocating for people who are interested to try to learn a musical instrument. Music is the one function that uh, flares both sides of the, the lobes or both lobes of the brain simultaneously because there's math involved and there's creation involved and there's very few activities that do both. And so the science has also shown that when you're learning uh, a musical instrument and you're getting to express yourself musically that you are again achieving both things creative creative side and the intellectual side so love it it. yeah and i my heather and my oldest daughter are taking guitar lessons uh they've been doing it during the the kind of shutdown from the pandemic pandemic and and loving it and i've i've kind of dipped in once in a while and, and experimented a little bit with myself. So I can attest to how it, do, it definitely does challenge both sides of the brain. And, and I have the um, kind of the numb left index finger to prove it too, uh, from, <laughs> from probably gripping the guitar too tightly without, or, or lack of having a callus on that finger. So um, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, so I can, I can attest to that uh, advice, Tom. Like anything else, those calluses are signs of progress. So same thing yep. in uh, c- uh, creating content. You got to, you got to yep. just get yourself into in training mode. And eventually those calluses are your friend because then you don't even feel the pain. So exactly. Great. Uh, right. Well, awesome, Tom. This was good. Uh, appreciate the time and appreciate our listeners for uh, kind of joining us today. And, and I will give one uh, kind of pitch to everyone. If you're interested in checking out my new book, you can find that at uh, productivitypivot.com and you'll find the book there and, and uh, can download a free chapter if you'd like. And, um, you know, we'll be back next week with another episode. We appreciate you joining us and uh, have a great week. And Tom, thanks for the conversation today. Yeah. And I did do a book review. I took your advice earlier and I changed up my post. I did a book review. You got five stars and I wasn't just, uh, I wasn't just brown nosing. So highly recommended. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Thanks everybody. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.